we're going to recall the, some of the best moments on the Armstrong Williams show, from Bill Barr to the Squeegee Kids, Sandy Hook shooting, um, the Nomads, um, Paul Ryan, Ben Crump, Ben Carr. We're just going to go back and call the great spirits of broadcast from the beginning of January to the end of December 2022 as we take a look back of our best for the year. Former Attorney General William Barr joins us, who served two presidents as Attorney General. You know, when you think about your history and your service to government and how democracy has changed, when you compare the state of democracy to where we were, to where we are today, what has gotten us to this point? I think, I think there are two things, and it, it requires going back to basics. One is the idea of federalism. That is, don't try to get the national government to do too much uh, and try to keep government closest to the people by having more decisions made closer to the people at the local and state level. And when you try to run a country as a consolidated big national government with 330 million people making decisions that are binding on everybody, uh, it becomes more of a pressure cooker. The stakes are so high, one national rule for everybody. And uh, our system was meant to have a pressure release valve in federalism where, where people can make more local decisions and more state-based decisions. And so that's one thing. Let's have, we, we need to move. One of the reasons the stakes are so high and things are so acrimonious is because we have these big national fights like one rule on abortion, one rule on, on gay marriage, one rule on, on everything, instead of just sort of allowing those to be handled more nationally at, at the state level. Uh, the second thing is we need a multiplicity of voices. The, the framers believe that the big risk of democracy is that a majority can be galvanized to oppress a minority. And, and how do you protect against that? Well, initially we had a big country and they thought, well, it'd be very hard for a majority to rally itself on, on an issue to oppress a minority. But now with modern communications, you can, and, and social media and so forth, you can galvanize a majority on something overnight almost. So distance no longer protects us from sort of people getting whipped into a mob mentality. What ultimately protects us is having a lot of different voices out there in the marketplace, not just one you know, monolithic point of view hammering away at the people, but a lot of different points of view. And so it's important we look at high tech, social media, and, and, and media ownership to make sure that there are diversity of voices. How do you make sure that those voices don't become the very enemy of democracy? Well, in our system, it has to be more voices. Uh, that is, uh, the answer to bad speech is just to have, is more speech, more good speech. And uh, so that's why it's so important not to have things centralized and, and one central arbiter, which we see now with censorship on social media, where they decide what they think the truth is and they start blocking access of people who have different points of view. Because our system is based on the idea that we will, 
we will eventually find the truth through the free marketplace of ideas. We have to trust people to have some discernment. And if there's a, if there's a debate going on and different viewpoints are represented, that'll help us arrive at the truth eventually, rather than have some power decide what the truth is. The people ultimately will, will, will gravitate toward it through the process of public debate. But I, I'm afraid our public debate, our discourse is being truncated. Are you concerned about China's rapid expansion and how it may surpass the United States in its supremacy? Yes, I think it's the, the biggest danger we face uh, in, in foreign affairs. Uh, you know, the United States has been the technological leader since the beginning of the 20th century, over 100 years of leadership. And that means we're, that's made us prosperous. It's provided opportunity. It's the reason each generation has expected to outdo the generation before it. And it also has provided us security, national security. And the Chinese have a comprehensive regimented plan of government and everybody in society working toward mastering all the technologies of the future whether it be artificial intelligence or robotics uh, and uh, stealing our secrets so that they can surpass us. The interesting thing is, we're, because of our freedom, we're the innovators. We're the ones that make the discoveries and make the innovations. A regimented society can't do that, but they're having the best of both worlds. They're stealing in our, our innovation and then they are bringing their regimented power to bear uh, to make themselves the technological leader. What, what are some of the constitutional issues that you face as attorney general under President Trump that may have divided, contributed to, or enhanced our state of democracy that you wish you could have gotten a better handle on or to even promote even more? It, it goes back to this issue of of uh, trying to stimulate more voices in, in the public debate. Big tech, our, our lives are, are being digitalized. You know, our shopping and our public discourse, our, our social exchange with other people, all of that is now being done on digital platforms. And as those get controlled by fewer and fewer companies that come to dominate them and act as gatekeepers, uh, that's that. That is like taking the public square, the village green, and privatizing it, putting private companies in charge of it and control of it. And that's bad because then they get to censor and they get to decide what people talk about. And they gather all this information about people, all, all their likes and dislikes and everything, and then they can subtly manipulate them in the digital world. Uh, and... Uh, that's part of the reason that we're, we're seeing more and more acrimony because they reinforce people's uh, uh, frustrations and so forth. And they tend to drive people to more extreme positions. And I think that to survive, our system has to make, has to make sure that these people don't have that kind of power. And we, need, and, and we need a lot of different players and a lot of different diversity of viewpoints these uh, victims who lost their loved ones senselessly in that supermarket in Buffalo, New York, will have an opportunity to have their voice heard, 
to help define the legacy of their loved ones that they were, their deaths will not be in vain. My heart really goes out to your loss. And I know being here is very emotional. It seems like it's nonstop. I just hope real results come from this to help you heal. But from you lost your loved ones, you and Michelle, tell us why you're here and why this is important, Michelle. I've said from the beginning of this, I will tell my mom's story. And I say that because even it's bigger even than what happened that day, that horrible day on May 14th. My mother was a wonderful woman. She was the type of person that if you would be honest, you would say, I want my child to grow up to be like Pearl Young. Pearl Young worked in a pantry 25 years. My mom taught Sunday school for 40 years, was loved from kids who were five years old all the way up to adults. And I'm here because her story needs to be told. It needs to be remembered. I tell people, I want her story to be remembered. I want the Buffalo 10 to be in history books because people need to know that if we don't do anything, this is what happens. So I want them to be remembered because they are worthy of that. They were the best of Americans, not just African Americans. We're here to make sure that they know something must be done. You have to put people over politics. We can't just have this gridlock and our loved ones keep getting killed in schools, supermarkets, uh, anywhere you have this evil hate that is being radicalized. No family should ever experience this ever again. And I'm here, like Pam said, using all of that hurt, all of that frustration, all of that anger. And I'm using it as a catalyst to bring change. I'm here to lobby until there's no more breath in my body for that anti-black hate crime bill to be passed, for the, um, the look and the focus to be on what it is, and that is that white supremacy was at the seat of these massacres. This is not about finances, wealth, it's not about money, it's about healing and to make sure that families of what you experience never have to experience this again. Absolutely. I mean, as uh, Michelle so eloquently stated and uh, Pam, it's bigger than all of us. We're here to uh, make sure that our loved ones are properly memorialized, um, that people never forget who they were, what they stood for. Um, but we're also standing on the shoulders of our ancestors and others who have sacrificed much uh, for this country down through the years. Um, we're not asking for favors, we're asking to be treated like Americans, like human beings. And uh, that's what we're here for, to make sure that the persons that are elected uh, by us to represent us uh, do that. Choose to love and not to hate, and choose to support the ones who are being hated so we don't feel alone. Because if we're all Americans, as Pam has stated, then why are we not supporting each other as Americans? Why, why, are, why is it not filled up here? Why do I not see the courtroom so full because they're so done with all the hate that all we want right now is love and support? Reach out to your representatives. Put pressure on your representatives to do their job and support all Americans. We are Americans brought here by chains, and if there is a replacement, the replacement was brought to so you could replace your workforce all those years ago. But we have fought down through the years. Our mother came from the Jim Crow South to the North to Buffalo to be slain in a grocery store in the middle of the afternoon. We're asking you, please reach out to your public officials, put pressure on them 
to do the right thing. It's time to down to put down white supremacy as a premise completely in this country. And and finally, you know, um, Michelle, this is not about left, right, conservative, Republican, Democrat. This is about healing our nation. This is not about politics for Absolutely. you. This is real for you. Absolutely. And I think we've gotten caught up into the semantics of black, white, left, right. At the end of the day, we are all human beings. I said it before and I'll say it again. If you cut, you bleed red blood. If I cry and you cry, we cry clear tears. So let's get beyond all of the bureaucracy, get beyond all of the opinions and get to the seat of the matter, which is that we are human beings in a democracy and that needs to be respected and protected. Please, I will go door to door everywhere I can until you are all registered to vote because we have to get the people into office that we choose that will respect what we have to say and that will actually do what the people who, are represent, who they're representing say. You don't just get elected to go and do as you want to and hang out with your friends. You still have to listen to the people who voted. We're here to represent and to stand in support of uh, Dr. Um, Guerrero pediatrician, um, who uh, the only pediatrician at Uvalde. Most of us are pediatricians, and one of our colleagues, Dr. Guerrero, is testifying today. He's from the town of Uvalde, and, and as pediatricians, we know and understand the impact that gun violence has on children and on families and on communities, and we're here to speak up and, and really speak up for kids. You know, and then you had a situation where someone who felt they were in pain and blame their physician and went inside the hospital. So hospitals are not sacred any longer. Yeah, you know, I, I think as medical professionals, we, we've seen that and we know that. And, 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 you know, our commitment is to take care of patients and families. And we want to make we want to make all these places safe for 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 everyone, um, for for doctors, but also for our patients, for students, for everyone. Oh, boy, did we wait on those midterm elections. We thought there was going to be a great red wave, but there was an American win. Everybody had something to be thankful for on November 8th when Americans went out and voted and said, we are tired of the divisiveness. We want you to cross these aisles and work together for we, the people. Mayor Bowser, as a leader of the most important city in the world, the nation's capital, mm. people are on the edge. They're fearful. They're not as polite as they once were. The least little thing can set off sparks. How do you, as a leader of this capital city, calm the fears of your constituency? Well, I think you put your finger right on it. I think people are on edge. I think that we have had two years where our lives have really been upended. Our public safety ecosystems, our schools, our social dynamics all upended. And I think that we don't truly know um, how we've changed. I don't think we know how we've changed as individuals, just how our brains function, how we receive information, how we embrace, how we talk, how we forgive. All of those things have been impacted by two years of isolation and social disruption. I know as the most acute way that it shows up in the work that I do uh, is people and their interpersonal conflicts that should end in an argument and two people walking away uh, can end up with one person dead.
Uh, and we, we've seen that, unfortunately, not just in responding uh, to the last two years. I've actually seen that growing uh, in our communities uh, in, in increasing levels of conflict and gun violence. You know, in, in saying that, uh, while it is real, you must still give people something to believe in. People are still homeless and they need housing. People need to pay their rent. People need to have opportunities in cities so the economy continues to move. You have these legacy initiatives that no matter how dark and chaotic it may be, you must still provide leadership that make people feel that there is normalcy. The economy continues, life continues. How do you do that? Well, we have to tell them every day the work that we do, because the truth is uh, we had two tough years, but we went into this pandemic strong with a roaring economy. People want to live here. People want to work here. People want to send their kids to our schools. And we'll get back to that. Uh, and we come, we're coming out of this economy when people need to get back to their offices and back to work. But the truth is, in D.C., a lot of people stay connected to their jobs, stay connected to good-paying jobs. They never missed a paycheck. Uh, in some sections of our economy, in some sections of our our city were completely wiped out, like the hospitality sector. So our job was to make sure that we provided uh, relief, and I'm proud of the work that we did. Uh, we, we got out the door over $352 million in rental assistance, averting uh, eviction of 50,000 people uh, in the district. We got out over $2 billion in unemployment assistance, making sure people could pay their rent and feed their kids and do all the things they needed to do. Our restaurants who were creative and brave and kept their people employed, we gave them assistance, the hotel's assistance. So everything that a government could do, including giving propane to restaurants on an empty RFK field. I mean, we have done a lot of things to pivot to make sure people could survive through this pandemic and get on the other side. But it is true. um, We have to move from that relief stage and recovery stage to getting back to growth um, because ultimately that's what uh, my job is. And so part of the way that I communicate that uh, to all of D.C. residents uh, is through a big budget that we have before my council uh, that continues to focus on our human services needs, continues to focus on our public safety needs, but also focuses on how we bring our city back, getting people back to work, business travel, tourism, nightlife, and entertainment, which are not fun and games for us because that hospitality and tourism is a big way that we fund all of our human services in the district. I always say that God makes us equal, but choices make us unequal. But you're a big proponent of equity across the board. How do you achieve that? Well, I'm a, I'm a big proponent like you of opportunity, uh, and I see it as our job in the government to give everybody a fair shot. And that doesn't mean the same thing for everybody. It doesn't mean the same thing for every neighborhood. So we have to look at all of the resources that we take in 
and invest in individual communities, individuals, so that they have an equal shot at living in a prosperous city. Look, I was born and raised in this town, in a very different Washington, D.C., uh, and so I take it as a tremendous responsibility uh, to make sure that people like me and my daughter will be able to, to buy homes and raise their families in D.C. As we review and think about some of our best moments, some of the most provocative conversations, insightful interviews, and don't forget when we had our CIA operatives, our, uh, our CIA specialists talking about the issues from Ukraine to Russia to Syria to Iran and Iraq. And let's not forget, Benjamin Netanyahu was reelected in 2022. Jordan Gomez, who's joining us now, is a Sandy Hook survivor. When did Sandy Hook happen? Sandy Hook happened on December 14th, 2012. Uh, when you see these mass shootings, what happens to you? Does it all become real to you again, that you keep imagining and feeling exactly what happened to you in that moment? Oh, absolutely, especially with Uvalde, the second I heard about it, it just, it hits really close to home. And every time you hear about these awful things happening, it's just, it all floods back. All these memories and the sympathy that I feel for these communities is just unfathom unfathomable. What do you say to the parents and the children of Uvalde and other schools who've lost loved ones, lost friends, um, how to cope and move on? Most of all, I can just say be with each other, hug your kids and your families a little bit tighter and take all the time that you need to cope with it and heal in whatever ways that work for you. Our exclusive guest today is the former Speaker of the House, uh, Paul Ryan. You know, everybody wants democracy to work. There's one thing that all Americans would agree upon. They don't want bad democracy. They want democracy that works for their kids. They want it to work for America. And yet so many feel as though democracy is failing them miserably. I wouldn't be so pessimistic. It's being tested no two ways about it. I think our democracy is being tested internally and externally. These are the big 21st century tests that we have to go through. Uh, I think we'll get through them, but they're a big test to our democracy, no two ways about it. Um, but you can look at specific instances in recent history and show where democracy worked, where internationally democracy in Ukraine is working. So I, I, I like to look at the glass of life as being half full, not half empty. Uh, but we've got some pretty darn strong tests coming in front of us. And, you know, that's going to be the big challenge of the 21st century. Democracy versus authoritarianism, I think, is the classic struggle in the 21st century. Help people to understand who are not as insightful and as, as the elected officials are, understand how democracy is working in Ukraine when people are dying, they've lost their way of life, infrastructure is being destroyed, well, they're being relocated to places all over the world, uprooted from their homes. Yeah, I'm not saying democracy presently in Ukraine is working because they're in the middle of a war. Uh, but what I'm trying to say is, I think Putin thought he could get away with it. I mean, he did invade Georgia with very little consequence and took southern Osatia. He did take Crimea with little, you know, slap, slaps on the wrist. So I think he probably thought he could get away with it. And the democracy was too self-absorbed and too polarized to do anything about it. NATO was, you know, past its prime. 
after he invaded, what happened? Democracy completely came unified to Ukraine's defense. NATO is expanding. Finland and Sweden are joining NATO. So the point I would make is democracy, when pushed against a wall, when free people are faced with an existential challenge to their freedom, they're going to be the most powerful force in humankind, I think. And what do you have? You've got an absolutely rallied democracies around the country and NATO expanding. And Putin is no longer taking Kiev. He's trying to take Donbass. And they're in a huge war, a big fight. Point being, I think, by the way, I think the Chinese are noticing this as well. Democracy is having a pretty good moment. As ugly and bloody as Ukraine is, it's a good moment for democracy. And free people are rallying together to support fellow free people who are at risk of losing those freedoms. Could what we're seeing today have been avoided? Yeah, I think so. I think, again, that's the great thing about democracy as well. You learn from mistakes. You get new leadership. You, you, you kind of reset your system every four or five whatever years. Do you um, agree with the current administration policies? Because you've always have been a big believer that actions certainly have consequences. Yeah. They don't have the long-range missiles to reach Russia. Vladimir Putin just issued a threat <clears throat> that if we were to arm Ukraine with those missiles, there will be consequences. Yeah, I mean, he made that threat after we had already made it clear we're giving them medium and short-range missiles, not long-range missiles. We had already made that clear. I actually think Biden's done pretty well on this. I mean, I would have here and there done things differently. I would have been faster on weapon deployment and the rest. But I think he's done a pretty good job, all things considered. What has he done? He's built a very good coalition. Uh, getting the Germans and French to give up their oil and gas to the extent that they have and they will, it's a pretty impressive accomplishment. So he's built a pretty good international coalition of democracies. That's been good. Uh, he's gotten through Congress good packages at helping the Ukrainians defend themselves, arm themselves, and keep their civil society and their government going. So, and we've got NATO expanding, and I think they will. I think the, 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 the Erdogan move is just more of a, you know, he's just trying to help himself with his, for, his, for his next run of elections. I think Finland and Sweden's going to join NATO. So all things considered, I think the administration's actually handled this pretty well. I would have done a few things differently, but generally speaking, I think they've handled it pretty well. So you also agree with the 40 plus billion dollars? Yeah, yeah, I would have voted for that if I were in Congress. Let's come back at home. Uh, there are three branches of government, legislative, judicial, executive. You ran the legislative branch. Help our audience understand just the kind of powers uh, that the legislative branch has. Because it does seem as though today that the president is able to make decisions where really Congress has the authority, but they just concede to yeah. The president. Um, what happens is when you're Speaker of the House and you're, you're running the legislative branch, you, you have a legal team, the, 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 the Council of, of Congress, the general counsel, and you end up going into legal disputes with the executive branch. I did this um, with Obama on, on, on subpoenas for the Fast and the Furious, on, on appropriations measures. Nancy's done the same. Boehner did it before. So there's always a little bit of tension between the executive branch and the legislative branch. That's good. I mean, the, the founders did a, it, it was a beautiful system they designed. I used to think when I was trying to get a through, bill through the House, how tough it was because you had to go to the House and then the Senate and get through the filibuster. And then hopefully a president signs into law. It's this three-stage process that's really laborious. And I used to marvel at these parliamentary systems like the Brits have, like all the other democracies basically have. 
It's one and done. One election and you're done. One bill and it's done and it's in law. I now am so glad we have the system we have. I am so thankful for it because it means you really don't do big things in your country unless you have real consensus. As a civil rights attorney and a citizen of America, what are your thoughts on the current state of our democracy? Well, you know, I, I think our American experiment is at its most vulnerable time that I've seen in my life when I think about uh, the attacks on democracy in the way of the right to vote. Every person having an equal, fair right to vote, that's the foundation of American democracy. It's really what makes us to be this great beacon of hope that everybody around the world marvels. A government by the people for the people. That means every person gets to vote. So we, I, as a civil rights lawyer, I'm really concerned about making sure that every citizen has the right to vote. What role do you think political extremism has um, on our democracy? I, I think it's not good. I think extremes on either side of the spectrum are never good. Uh, these people are far too conservative and these people are far too liberal. No, we have to try to be a nation of principles that say it's about the principles that matter, not about my candidate or your candidate. It's about America winning. How, how do we better our democracy and our democratic system? Well, I think if we follow the Constitution of the United States, and so we have to breathe life into those, that sacred document known as the Constitution to say, hey, we're going to apply this fairly and equally to every citizen. Thank you for listening to this week's episode.